we have our good friend Martin Vengadesen from Malaysia Kini. Let's get on to our first article all about COVID-19 as we can tell we have less new cases now and we also have less uh, fatalities uh, as of the couple of days back. In your personal opinion, uh, Martin, with numbers like these, do you think that the movement control order should continue? Well, it's, it's quite a tall order. There have been uh, encouraging signs in the last few days. There's also more recoveries than there have been new cases. Uh, at the same time, I think that uh, there's still some need for caution. I think if you lift the, the MCO without uh, any restrictions, and it happens to be during a, a festive season where, or there are occasions where a lot of people might gather, I think it might be uh, an ill-advised move. We also have to look at the fact that uh, Singapore has extended its circuit breaker to June 1st, which is which would be after Hari Raya. So that may be something that our, our authorities are considering. Uh, and, you know, it's um, in, in a way, it's a bit sad to say numbers are encouraging because there have been 92 fatalities. So that means that, uh, you know, families have lost loved ones and, and, and situations like that. But uh, it has been handled well in terms of flattening the curve. Uh, I think we still, as painful as it is, we're still going to have to keep persisting with this policy. Yeah. Okay. But do you think it's a good idea to do it in increment, like how uh, the Malaysian government is doing it? Or just like in Singapore, the circuit breaker, they do it months at a time, like one month? Yeah. Uh, I think they're, they're constantly um, reassessing, looking at the numbers, seeing... I think there's been a lot of fine-tuning of policy as... as, as um, as, as it evolves, and you know, on certain occasions, uh, some U-turns, as we saw with the, with the barbers and with the rule that you must have face masks uh, when you go out, uh, that, that applied for one day, I think. So definitely they're fine-tuning and readjusting. Uh, seems to be our policy to, to reassess every two, uh, two weeks. I, I think that's, that's working so far. So what do we need to see before the MCO can finally be lifted numbers-wise? And... If it keeps increasing, can our economy even take that? Oh, uh, yeah, that's. A, <laughs> I think if I could answer that very, uh, very confidently, I'd be like uh, in the cabinet or something. It's really a tough, a tough question. To, the balance between uh, your economic needs and then uh, at, at what stage do you do you say, okay, this has been defeated and we can go to life, uh, go back to life as normal? I, I don't think we can accurately predict that. Uh, in a world where we're seeing, you know, like the U.S. has just crossed 45,000 fatalities and uh, uh, so many industries have been affected. I, I don't know what point we can suddenly say, um, yeah, because there's no, no uh, vaccine in, in, in sight in the near future. Mm. So I don't know at what point we can just say, all right, guys, uh, MCO over, everything back to normal. Um, I, I can't uh, come up with a number for that, for sure. But whatever it is, I think there's, there's no going back to our previous normal. It'll probably be, probably be a new normal, right? Because uh, I remember the health DG saying that even after the MCO is lifted, uh, uh, he discourages public gathering for at least until end of the year. Yes, I can well imagine there's, there's quite a, a lot of uh, wisdom in that. And then don't forget, industries as well will change. Like, uh, yeah, I had this, this uh, file of travel plans with my uh, two sisters who are in US and UK supposed to come down, my college roommate from the US as well. My parents tend to go to um, 
US and UK every summer. So all that is out the window. I also had a friend who works in the airlines. He immediately, uh, in a budget airline, and he immediately resigned when they, when they had uh, some very extensive uh, cuts. Wow. Um, my own son has been retrenched. He works in a, worked in a bookstore. So uh, I can certainly imagine that life is not going to go back to normal uh, once the MCO is lifted. There's going to be a lot of people job hunting. And you're going to see what industries have, uh, have thrived. Because there are some that actually have greater demand during this time. And you're going to see what industries uh, have suffered. It's all about a new norm. We'll have to figure it out. Okay, let's yeah. move to the next one. All right. Next one. Um, Tun Dr. Mahade claims that a one-day parliament sitting is not good for politics. Why is this the case? I mean, is it right for the government to push uh, the next parliament sitting to July 13 instead? Because initially it was May 18 and they said, yes, we'll still convene May 18, but it's only for one day. Yes, and it was, in fact, it was originally going to be uh, March 9th. Uh, yeah. Now, ob- obviously, what, where Malaysia is different from most other countries is we had uh, some political turmoil uh, and uh, there was a change of government uh, in the final weeks of, of February and the early weeks of March. And we had the, the fall of one administration and, and the installation of another. So, um, obviously... Uh, the sitting of parliament is uh, is going to be an interesting time when eventually it does it does, uh, it does uh, convene. But uh, we're actually looking at a situation where there is effectively a government is uh, administering administering by decree. Uh, we have sort of emergency rules and uh, and so I think um, while it uh, it would be a better the move uh, in terms of our our legislation and all that to get things back uh, as soon as possible. I mean, the UK has actually got these virtual parliament meetings. Mm, I think yeah, that's, yeah. A very, that's a very good idea. Yeah. At the same time, you'll, you'd have to <laughs> you have to ask the question if uh, the current administration is uh, is delaying is delaying the uh, reinstituting reconvening parliament because it wants to uh, put certain things in place to its own benefit. But do you think um, like a virtual parliament sitting via video conferencing is, is viable in this political climate that we have here in Malaysia? I think it certainly is. Uh, obviously, it's uh, a bit hard to imagine such a, such a large you know, 222 MPs. Uh, and uh, I can just imagine the speaker having a major headache coordinating who's going to talk. But uh, I think for... There are certain issues, you know, for example, the economic stimulus package is not a small amount of money. And uh, it is something that uh, that should be discussed, whether or not the, our resources are being used in the most uh, beneficial way. Mm. So I think that's something that uh, that uh, it should be a bipartisan discussion. So you think it should be, it should happen, it should be more than just one day, and it hopefully can be done online or... They, yes, I think we should, we should try the... Yes, we should try the virtual parliament thing, uh, maybe even as early as as May. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's what I do feel. Uh, we could it could be a trial and everything. If it really is a uh, isn't workable, then we can push it back. But uh, I think there's uh, there is some indication that uh, that the new administration wants to wants to run things on its own. Uh, Sorry, to its own rules for a little while before engaging with Parliament. But I think it is 
it is important to have a differing opinion on what they're trying to implement, right? Yes, certainly. Uh, we've already seen some, uh, they've had disputes in terms of uh, distribution of aid. Mm. Uh, uh, Sir MP uh, Anna Yeo claimed that, uh, that not all the, the food aid packages were getting to opposition MPs so they could distribute it in their constituency. And uh, Women's Minister Rina Harun denied that. So we've already had some, some back and forth about how the aid is being distributed. And, uh, and I'm sure that if we had Parliament uh, open at this time, there would be a lot of lively debate. Now, uh, let's move on to our next article, which is still on Parliament. Uh, this is quite interesting because it says that this is a, a, about the seating in the hall. <laughs> now, Basatu may actually sit on both sides in Parliament. That's the headline of this article. Uh, is it possible for one party to sit on both sides of the Parliament hall, like opposition and government? So how will this seating order then affect the dynamics of the Basatu party? I mean, are they still a Basatu party, you know? Yes, we've seen this where Basatu is a part of the... In, for example, in Kedah, they are part of a Pakatan Harapan administration, uh, which is led by uh, Menteri Besar Mukris Mahathir. But in the rest of the country, they are basically uh, teamed up with Amno Pass and, and, uh, and the old Barisan National. Mm-hmm. So basically, that party has been split. There, there's no precedent for it in Malaysia, but uh, the, this has happened in Argentina, for example, with, uh, where the Peronist party has split into both. Uh, one, the left-wing faction has been in government, while the right-wing faction has been in opposition. This happened during the presidencies of Nestor and uh, Christina Fernandez Kirchner. It's quite so, interesting, but um, how do they work together still in one party if there's a left wing and a right wing? <laughs> well, that's, uh, quite, that is quite unique to Argentina because uh, the Peronist legacy, somehow or other, he managed to get both wings behind him. And there have been times, in, like in the 1970s, they were actually in the same party but fighting street battles against each other. So that's maybe yeah. a unique case, yes. Because uh, somehow or other, he had the support of the union and unions on the left and the armed forces on the right. And each, each of the groups were trying to lay claim to his legacy and, and yet at the same time competing against each other. Uh, I don't expect that it'll be such a long drawn out uh, legacy for Basatu. I, I think it's only going to be a short term. Uh, this is only a short term solution. And I expect that in coming years, we shall see the party fully in one direction or another. So in other words, they, they should be splitting up soon. <laughs> I, I, well, we can't predict, but if you look at PKR, for example, uh, there were these, uh, these factional wars. Uh, certainly the last party elections in 2018 were very uh, factitious. And so uh, now we've seen how uh, the faction that's aligned to, uh, led by Azmin Ali and Zoraida have basically pulled out of the party and joined a, and joined a new one, which is Basatu. So I think eventually those in the minority in Brasatu will, will have to make a choice whether to leave and form their own party or join another party. So Martin, do they need yeah, to go yeah. into parliament to decide this or can they just decide this among themselves? <laughs> well, as we've seen, a lot can be done outside of parliament. Uh, an entire change of government happened that way. And uh, yeah, uh, that's actually that, that's actually what party hopping is about. Uh, some people have proposed an anti-party hopping law, which means you're elected. We you go and elect 
somebody under the symbol, whether it's Barisan National or PKR or DAP or PAS, but actually they are allowed to uh, change their allegiance. So uh, party affiliation is not really related to your to your, your position as an MP, although it does affect, obviously we don't expect uh, the current administration of Mohidin to suddenly pull in uh, somebody from uh, an opposition. But yeah, there's nothing that, uh, basically the, the rules of parliament uh, unrelated to how Basatu is going to operate as a party. Mm, okay. All right, let's get to our next article about the infamous 500 countries comment. So that has gone uh, viral around the world. And uh, even our health minister, Dr. Adham, has apologized. Um, but still, some netizens are not happy that he actually admitted to his mistake. And some are saying that he is not fit to be a minister. Uh, especially our health minister. So what are your personal thoughts on this? Well, I think uh, Dr. Adham has uh, got off to an unfortunate start. He, uh, he's known for the, uh, his appearance on TV where he recommended warm water as a, as a method of combating the virus. And then now he has this uh, thing where he said he misspoke about the 500 countries. I think actually he's, uh, he's just a, maybe a focal point for dissatisfaction with how the previous government uh, was removed. Because he's an Amno guy, nobody elected. I mean, Amno was not the winner of the last election. Here he is uh, occupying the most, one of the most important posts in the country during a time of a global crisis. And the previous um, health minister, Dr. Zul from, uh, from Amana, was was, was uh, very popular. A lot of people wanted him to stay on in the job. And you know, the the Pakistan Harapan administration had doctors as the prime minister and the deputy prime minister. And so there was a feeling that there was a very competent administration in, in that respect. Uh, and so now, um, a lot of people are looking to the health DG, Dr. Norisham, for leadership. And uh, Dr. Adham, who's basically a new guy, thrusts right into the middle of this, uh, of this uh, crisis. Um, everything he's saying and doing is, come, is falling under scrutiny. And so it should, really. Uh, people need uh, good leadership. And... Uh, and if you, if you take a common poll among your friends, uh, you'll find that uh, nobody is particularly impressed so far. Yeah. But, yeah. but you're saying that Malaysians are uh, sort of pushing, this, um, pushing their own dissatisfaction about the change in government on this one minister for making this small mistake? No, I wouldn't say it's, it's only that. I mean, certainly you want leadership. You want you want uh, you want somebody who's who projects confidence and com and competence. And two or three of his uh, statements make you question that. Yeah. But I am saying that it's probably an additional factor that uh, people haven't had had a chance to voice their grievances. For example, if uh, there hadn't been an MCO, I would have expected a a large Bursay rallies about the change of government. I think they were planning to call for one before the MCO was, uh, was instituted. So there is a, the underlying frustration by millions of voters who voted for a different government. And so, uh, so, so Dr. Adham has this double thing where he, A, he basically has to be a, a competent and, uh, and well-informed health minister. And B, he's also one of the focal points of a government that still is questioned by many.
So no mistake from him after this. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Hopefully none. All right, let's move on. Okay, this is our final article all about um, deferring Hari Raya holidays. So our government is mulling the idea of deferring Hari Raya holidays. And Indonesia, they've already postponed Hari Raya celebrations to the end of December. Uh, Malaysia may now consider it as well. In your personal opinion, should we do what Indonesia is doing and just postpone the celebration? till end of the year? Or is it even possible? Well, it's obviously a, a very important religious uh, holiday. And uh, I am sure it will be observed in, uh, by, by many in their own way. Uh, but we can't predict whether or not the MCO... Well, well we can surmise that the MCO would still, may still be in effect during that time. Uh, so if it is, considering that we've already... Uh, you know, sporting events, uh, school, they've all, uh, like my son's uh, SPM exams, for example, been pushed into next year. So um, it's, it's truly a unique situation. So going to be a one-off or one in a, once in a lifetime, hopefully. But uh, yes, I think uh, we, we have to look at all uh, possibilities, including maybe um, celebrating Raya at home on that day, but actually having the Raya holidays and public celebrations a little further down the road when, when the situation is better. Hmm. But who should make this decision? It will have to depend on the, the religious authorities, right? Yes, I think they definitely, they will, the, the government will be consulting. It, it depends. Basically, I think a lot of decisions now uh, are on the advice of the, the health officials. And also, uh, the police will also have their input in terms of uh, how the population is being controlled. So our top officials in the new administration, uh, so basically have to consult the police, the religious authorities, the health authorities, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and decide whether or not this is something worth pursuing. As, as I say, said earlier, we've been, at the moment, we've been doing it in two-week increments, but it is, uh, it is looming up. I mean, it is looming in the distance. And uh, so that decision will probably have to be made by maybe around May 10th or so. Thank you so much, Martin, for speaking to us. All right. Thanks for having me. 